We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Day More NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company coming at you Wednesday afternoon. It's December 13th after the Wolves played the Pelicans on Monday and lost. And before they play the Mavs on, on Thursday in Dallas. I have Britt Robson from Minpost here with me today who just finished writing what I thought was a pretty like fitting column uh, for the moment. I At least, Britt, I took the thrust of the column to be like, Now comes the hard part, which is interesting because a week ago we were talking about now comes the hard part kind of too. We're just looking at the schedule. But I think for me, seeing it on on Monday and seeing a more difficult, you know, path to winning uh, an individual game and or not against a a different opponent and on the road, the, you know, it had been that stat you put in your column too. the, you know, the next four weeks is 16 games against teams who are all over 500, uh, 11 of which uh, are on the road. Sometimes you kind of need to like, see what that is. You go, are those just numbers that are put there to, to scare you a little bit? And I I liked how you were like, now comes the hard part, but it doesn't take at all away from what the strength of the beginning of the season was. It doesn't anticipate things falling apart. It basically just anticipates, you know what? These next 16 games, they might lose more than two after they just won exactly. 16 of, of 18 there. So just, yeah. Yeah, just what kind was of- this that we're spoiled? <laughs> Essentially is what it boils down to. I mean, right. if this team loses three out of four, guess what? A lot of 17 and four teams lose three out of four, especially against quality opponents, mm-hmm. especially if most of them are on the road. Um, so, 17 and four is a 67 win pace. If anybody really thought that the Wolves were going to be, you know, in that realm, you know, yeah. And, and if they finish 500 in these six, 16 games, there'll be 25 and 12. Guess what? That's a 55 win pace. Super good. 55 <laughs> wins. If yeah. they, if they lose as many as they win between now and, and January tenth, uh, I think it is. Yep. Um, then they they're twenty five and twelve. Oh my god! You know, we had an awesome, awesome start to the season. Like, yeah, exactly. you would have thought about that um, before the year. I, I think, and I, I said this with Jace yesterday too, where I, there's, um, 
There's also something intriguing to me about this now, too, in yeah, great stat uh, in, in your piece. The, the four games before New Orleans, we knew we were against bad teams, right? Charlotte, Memphis, San Antonio, and maybe Utah was the other one. Yep. But the combined record of those four teams was thus far is 23 and 65. So what a, like, I mean, not that the Pelicans are the best team in the league, but going from that right. for like eight, nine days when you're only playing that to a competitive team that was relatively at uh, full strength in the Pelicans was a big, was a big flip, right? For, and yeah. I, I think it, it, you know, it was mentioned a few times on the broadcast and other people mentioned it online. I mean, this isn't any new knowledge, but they got waxed. I mean, if, if, uh, you didn't count the Lakers' fourth quarter points in that game. They still would have won by twenty-one. <laughs> yeah, I that mean was that, a, that, that, that is cool. a that is a thrashing. And mm-hmm. so when you get embarrassed that badly, and you are not a bad team, you just had a terrible, terrible game, right. and you have two days plus another day to prepare. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a day of rest theoretically, and then two days. Your game is three days later. Um, and you, the Wolves don't have Ant, the Pellows have Zion, they have McCullough, uh, they were 10 and four with four of the five guys in that starting lineup. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it just all made sense. And I was actually, as, as the column kind of indicates, I was pleased with, with the way they, uh, kind of, I, you know, the third quarter turned out to be. I did not realize what an outlier that third quarter was. Uh, in terms of what? Or elaborate. Well, I mean, uh, uh, in quarters one, two, and four, each team committed 17 fouls. The oh, Pels went to the line 21 times. The Wolves went to the line 17 times. In the third quarter, the Pels went to the line 19 times. The Wolves went to the line twice. Right. And and the, the foul situation was 11 to 3. Mm-hmm. But they got into the Pelicans got into the bonus really quickly. I think it was like two minutes and ten seconds or three minutes or something like that. It was where something were... ridiculous. And and you know, again, it is a situation where uh as I argued online, two things could be true. The the refs could be incredibly whistle happy and the wolves could be following a lot. And mm-hmm. both of those things combined. But I found it interesting that um I thought another factor really quick too, like New Orleans is a downhill team. Yeah. That's what they do, right? They're going to, if there is ever a team that is going to generate a lot of blocking fouls, it would be them. And it's not just Zion, right? It's, it's right. kind of, you saw CJ really has that like stop and go, Trey Young, right. Chris Paul, John Daniels, Thomas. Dyson Daniels is a yeah. driver, you know, pure and, and that Jones could be is true. a driver, right? But also there were, there was a handful of those that were, Sorry, I'm kind of cutting off your thought here, but like right. a handful of them that were were ticky tacky too. I thought particularly in relation to Nikhil Alexander Walker and Rudy Gobert, or yeah. I don't know if it's a weird like subconscious thing where those guys aren't usually chronic foulers, so I'm more willing, you know, to 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 forgive in those those situations that or question the validity um, of of the refs call on on marginal calls there. But but yeah, it was it was this conflation of a bunch of things that led to a ridiculous with, free with throw total. eight minutes to go in the third quarter, both Gobert and Na had gone from two fouls to four fouls. 
mm-hmm. in the second half. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and one of them is guarding Ingram, their, their best outside shooter, and the other one is central to the whole interior defense uh, scheme of that mm-hmm. game plan. Uh, and then on the other side, you know, again, uh, I'm not a ref hollerer as a result. Actually, the, what, the way I phrased it in the column isn't like the refs are screwing people. It was like the Wolves usually use every excuse in the book to become martyrs and immature babies about this kind of stuff all last season. And they really had evidence, I think, this time around. And, yeah, Gobert said a lot of stuff. But uh, in general, I think they, 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 you know, were remarkably calm under the circumstances. And not only that, even though they got out free throwed 19 to two in the third quarter, they outscored the Pelicans 34 to 31. They, they fought back from 15 down to like four down at the end of the period. They have resilience this year. Um, To, to get back to the, now comes the hard part, which I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about, you know, that, that Pelicans game is naturally going to come up in it because again, it's like sure. chapter one or page one of, of the hard part. Uh, you put together um, a list of X factors that in your column that will, I mean, the more of these X factors boxes you check, um, the less hard, I guess this, or you right. will need to sustain this stretch or maybe to be able to win more games than not. I, I just, they're, they're, I think they're, they are factors that if, if they get answered well, the wolves do better. If they remain yeah. unanswered, the wolves will be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, let's uh, let's jump right into them because okay. I think they kind of weave into some of the the Pelicans things and maybe sure. things going forward here. Um, number one you had down was finding playmaking um, in the roster without burning out Mike Conley. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this isn't. We've kind of had our eye on on this idea, you know, going back to training camp before we knew this was a really good team of only, well, I guess, two traditional point guards on the team. If you include Jordan McLaughlin, who wasn't and kind of right. isn't in the the rotation. Um, and, and that was, a, that was a big question going into the season two. How would they generate playmaking? Where would they generate playmaking in the, you know, 18 to 20 minutes a night that, that Mike, Mike Conley doesn't play. We now know they need that. Right. That Absolutely. is that is a weakness of a very good team yes. right now. Where are you thinking that that comes from? Uh, I, I think there's two two separate conversations here, but maybe for this moment, like in, where does that come from inter- internally? Because I think externally that could potentially be something they look to address um, at the trade deadline. But that's not till February. Where do they get playmaking without burning out Mike Conley? I think you go two ways. One, you um, play J-Mac more. I think that's pretty obvious. I know that uh, in my and one section of, you know, special content for super secret, fingers crossed, uh, subscribers that uh, want more than the column, I did get a little bit into uh, Finch's, you know, tough decisions at the end of the rotation. Mm -hmm. But essentially one of them is, if you don't play J-Mac, what are you doing there with that backup playmaking spot? Because he is, not only is he a quick decision maker, he puts pace in the game and he has a multi-year track record 
No, not of shooting well and no, not of always being a great on-ball defender because of his size, but as somebody who can create ball movement and and uh, quick decisions and jump-starting an offense without having to have Mike Conley on the floor. Because one of the things that's interesting about all this is not only is Conley have 50 more assists than anybody else on the team, Jesus. but he also has the most three-pointers of anybody on the team and leads the team in three-point percentage. So he is a floor spacer par excellence, and he is also a playmaker par excellence. So even when he does not have the ball in his hand, this is a, a demerit for J-Mac that Conley has. If J-Mac's hanging out by the three-point line, he's not drawing anybody. If Conley's out by the three-point line on the weak side, He's creating, scramble. Yeah. he's creating space. Yeah. And so that's one aspect of it. I think more J-Mac. Another answer I would make is we need to get Ant back in his old, old meaning like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Hold on. Let, 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 let's finish the playmaking one first. Okay. okay. Well, no, because, I am. I am. Oh, okay. okay. In, in other words, I think... Ant's assist-to-turnover ratio is is much better this year than it's been yeah. any other year. Mm-hmm. He is become, and I mean, you know, you heard, you were in the locker room when I asked Conley how much Ant, mm-hmm. you know, talks to him about it. He said, you know, pretty much all the time. I don't know if he was just trying to, you know, goose it along or not, but uh, it was a very quotable moment where he said, you know, most of what we talk about is angles and, you know, basically the, the inner workings of point guard play, you could see that in Ant's game. And uh, I'm a, I'm worried, and it's another one of the X factors, that, which is why you wanted to worry about <laughs> jumping there. But I think it is, if Ant is in the groove he was in, uh, he will solve a lot of the playmaking problems when Conley is off the floor. Right. Because he, like Conley, is a magnet and also a willing passer with pretty good court vision. He's not as good as Conley, but guess what? He's a better scorer. So, you know, I mean, so uh, those two things, far more than gnaw or shake or, you know, combination of, you know, and even slow-mo, who I mentioned, um, slow-mo's shooting woes are hurting his playmaking because teams are laying off him, and it's harder to playmake when – Nobody's guarding you. Sure. Uh, and so, you know, that's pretty basic. So what slow-mo does is he creates action. He drives mm-hmm. into people and then dishes. Well, that, you know, that puts you later into the clock. That gives you less room to look at the floor. There's all different reasons for this. Bottom line here is the Timberwolves have been in the bottom 10 in turnovers the past two and a half years, last three seasons. Um but they were in the top 10 in assists the previous two seasons. This year, they're 23rd in turnovers and 20th in assists. The assists of what have dropped. The turnovers remain a problem and have always been a problem in Finch's offense for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But the assists have always been there, and they're not there this year, at least relative to the rest of the league. And that's somewhat intuitive if we think of the roster. Const- I mean, this is a better roster than those yeah. seasons for sure, but it is a roster with less true playmate, like assisting playmakers, right? Like as I mean, Mike Conley is a better player and a better fit on this team. D'Angelo Russell 
was a high level assister. Right. I mean, he had a lot of turnovers there too. You were also playing, I mean, you were playing 48 minutes a night of a point guard though. Right. And, and all right. of exactly. and all of those and other seasons, a lot of your shots, a lot of your offense and your generation is coming from bigs. It's coming from Cat. It's coming from Nas. It's coming from Gobert. All three of those guys. Cat, I think, has two more assists than turnovers. The other two, more turnovers than assists. Right. And so the Wolves right now have assist-to-turnover ratio of 1.7 to 1. Mike Conley alone is 6.2 to 1. Right. Ridiculous. Tyus Jones levels. No. <laughs> and so, and so uh, when he goes to the bench – what that means is, you know, your your collective rest of the roster is probably like one to one ratio, yeah, which is terrible if you're going to run a half court offense. Yeah, it's so so it's this idea of right the the X factor you put down is playmaking without burning out Mike Conley, right? Which yep. means you know what again what are what are you doing in those other minutes? And I feel like thus far, what they have prioritized is bucket getting rather than playmaking when when Mike is is off the floor, whether that's Ant, right, who is more of a bucket getter than mm-hmm. a playmaker. Uh, Kyle, again, to your point, I think he is a playmaker, but it hasn't been as much that way because the, the shot it's has just been. just not as efficient. Yeah, he's just, yeah, he has not been as, as effective there. Um, Nikhil is a, has had a great season, but is not your traditional point guard playmaking in in that sort of way and then shake i think is shake milton is the biggest example of you're looking for a bucket getter here rather right. than a and it's also one of the things i wrote was that thinking shake milton had the handle and the temperament to be a backup point guard is the biggest miscalculation in what has been a charm season and he hasn't been a bucket getter. I no. mean, he, this is this stat was. But crazy. you know, last couple of games, here he comes. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> so this this even includes the the last couple of games. Yeah. I was I was looking this up. The if you look at points per shot attempt this mm. season of yeah. all the players in the league who have played over three hundred minutes, Shake's played three thirty nine. So it's basically anybody uh-huh. um, in a rotation. Only two players in the NBA are generating fewer points per shot attempt than Shake Milton is, and they both are rookies playing for Portland. It's Scoot Henderson and Tumani Camaro. So the the bucket-getter element of, of – and this isn't who Shake for sure is. Right. But he has not been the bucket-getter, and he has not been the playmaker. Right. So it, it's just I, – I get some people who are like, man, what is this pining for Jordan McLaughlin or whatever? I'm not even saying – I'm pining for Jordan McLaughlin necessarily. Maybe it's maybe it's something else. But what you're aiming at is getting something from Shake Milton here to survive the non-Mike Conley minutes. And, and you you're know, not even getting what you're aiming at getting. For the people who say, what's this pining for Jordan McLaughlin? I would say, what's your backup? <laughs> Seriously. Right. Yeah. There's I just... mean, you know, give me your alternative. Mm-hmm. I, I'll say J-Mac for 14 minutes a night. At the point, what are you doing in those fourteen minutes? Yeah, because what are what are the alternatives? I mean, exactly. Well, I mean, you know, let's get specific here. I'm not, you know, I mean, the the guy happens to be statistically 
a godsend on the court most of the time. Part of that is because he fills lanes on defense, yeah. gets a lot of deflections, puts pace in the offense, makes good decisions, and by the way, has a historically great assist to turnover ratio, as does the guy ahead of him in the rotation. And Mike your Conley. point is that's what this team needs, which you laid out really well, is the yeah. only player who is having a good assist to turnover ratio this season is Mike Conley. Everyone else is. Right. Well, I mean, you know, Ant and I mean, slow-mo is, is still, you could call it good, but it's not as good as last year. Ant, you could call good because it's much better than he's ever done before. Both of them are in the two to one ratio, you know, sure. um, which is good. It's good for a non point guard. Unfortunately, slow-mo is your backup point guard mm -hmm. and Ant is, you know, your de facto playmaker a lot of the time, but still I would argue Ant's assistant turnover ratio, given the load he carries is uh, is very good. I want to take our, our first break here. You're, then we'll move on to your next X factor, which is right. Ant re reacclimating to his near MVP caliber level of play. Um, we always on these midweek shows with Britt. Um, these episodes are brought to you by Falling Knife uh, Brewing Company. Uh, this it's Wednesday as we're recording this now. Next Wolves game is Thursday on the road um, in Dallas. As always, um, that's an Falling Knife is an option for you to go watch those games with other Wolves fans on their projector screens, TVs, um, with the sound on, which we love and think is cool that they do there too. Um, but but also, this is you know the the time of year where you're looking for stocking stuffers, random little thing X, Y, and Z. I mean, I know that's been a random gift I've got. My brother is like a craft beer from some brewery around and i think this is a brewery that you know listeners is uh invested in the wolves invested in in this show so uh, we would just love it to be the place that if you are looking to you know pick up a six pack of craft beer for the holidays or giveaway as a gift or dinners or whatever it might be um we always want you to keep falling knife um on the mind and that they're located in in northeast Minneapolis. Many of you have been there for our live shows and, and whatnot, but check them out this uh, this holiday season to go watch a game for happy hour with your you know work or friends, and then think about uh, grabbing uh, some stuff to go for for a holiday gift. Um, all right, Britt, I, I want to move into uh, Ant, and we kind of talked about him before. He's related to the playmaking stuff, obviously yeah. in that New Orleans game. The playmaking doesn't look like as much of an issue if Ant is out there. A bunch of things don't look like as much of an issue if Ant is out there because he has played at an all-NBA level this season uh, when he's been healthy. So your X factor is getting back to that, which I think probably is the assumption will happen. Easier said than done. See, okay. That's the thing that um, why it's an X factor. I mean, because otherwise it would be easy to say, yeah, we'll just, you know, turn Ant back on. Uh -huh. But um, chemistry, synergy, whatever you want to call it, is not a snap your fingers thing. Sure. Um, and since Ann has been down, Cat has stepped up and really put more of himself into this team in some very meaningful ways that have to be accounted for to some extent. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that Ant had struck a really fine and difficult balance between being an alpha scorer and being somebody who keeps all his teammates happy. 
I can't count the number of times he hit wide open teammates who were struggling and hit them so well with passes and rhythm mm-hmm. that they went up and buried a shot. McDaniels at one game, uh, but Shake Milton a, a couple of times, Nah a couple of times. Um, he is an all opportunity passer um, when he is on his game. And I think when he feels like he is in a rhythm, everybody else benefits. When he is not in a rhythm, I see him trying to establish a good shot selection that works for him internally. I think one of the ways that Ant still needs to grow is that that shot selection is his priority before playmaking is his priority. He needs to feel comfortable in order to be at his best as a playmaker. And so I think coming back from injury, and he said he was scared the first time he came back and then he re-injured it. The second time he came back, or, you know, after he came back. So you get a sense that it is a painful thing. And we know Ann has a history of kind of playing a love-hate relationship with things that are wrong with his body. Sometimes he pays it no mind, plays anyway. Other times it really it encroaches upon the way he plays. On top of that, you have greater competition. You have a need for him to be a playmaker as much as a scorer right now for all the reasons we just enumerated. And so, and on defense, I should mention, his defense was so good before he got hurt. I'm just terrified that it's going to go away because, you know, I mean, because he's 22 and because he's been out for a while and because he's got other things he's worried about and because the team is already established as a great team right now and, all kinds of reasons. But I don't think it's a gimme that we are going to get the ant we saw in the first three weeks of the season. I think if we do, that is a huge boost for this team. It solves the playmaking to a great degree. It it actually really helps the defense uh, because he's playing so much better defense than he ever has before. And it helps the locker room, ant's mood, the ability, you know, it's it's been the Rudy and Cat show since Ant's been down. Let's face it. Mm-hmm. Both of those guys have, have done their performative locker room stuff, you know, in his absence. But Ant owns the locker room when Ant is on, on you know, on the move. And everybody else kind of follows his lead. And I would imagine that's just the way guys like Nas Reed and Jade McDaniels like it, you know. I So I, I'm a little it just like judging off of how you're saying it, believing it will come back a little bit more than you are. I'm not saying it's a hundred percent thing, but I, whatever, if we're, we're assigning percentages, maybe I believe in it a little bit more than you. Um, but the thing I've really been thinking about since that new Orleans game, which is relevant to this conversation is I think it is critical that Ant gets back to that because this team as currently constructed to be a winning team, a top team in, in the Western conference, I think needs to dominate the Anthony Edwards minutes. It needs to look like the LeBron on off splits, the Jokic on off splits or, or close to it because we've been using like the term meat on the bone, right. After finishing right. that, like uh, a month ago, I'm not sure there's a lot of meat on the bone in the non ant minutes left. I don't mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. offensively. I mean that they, this team can be good defensively, when Ant is off the floor, but that Pelicans game illuminated to me in a full 48 spread there that I don't think that this team has a lot 
or enough juice and might until they make a roster change or something like that. I'm just not sure it's going to be a good um, uh, even or an even average offensive level of play. I looked it up. Um, they are with Ant off the floor offensive rating wise, twenty like playing at the level of a bottom five offense in the league. Uh-huh. They're overall, I mean, with Ant, they're about a top like tenth level offense overall. They're about an average offense uh, on the year, and I, I just don't know. I mean, it can be better than twenty sixth where it's yeah. at for that that level, but I don't think there's a lot of lot more juice there because we saw it in the Pelicans game, like. There's not a lot of shooting on this team surrounding Cat when Ant mm-hmm. is off the floor. So that's going to kind of become the book, I would assume, um, on guarding this team when Ant is, misses games or is off the floor is bringing those doubles against Cat, loading up against Cat if he's at the top of the floor trying to drive, which then is demanding Carl to be uh, a playmaker. And they're just, there isn't movement shooters on this team, there isn't high level catch and shoot players on this team again, particularly when, when Ant is, is off the floor. So I say that to mean, I think Ant needs to get back to that all NBA caliber of play because this is a below an average to below average offensive team. um, And they need in those 34 or five minutes a night that Ant's on the floor to be a dominant offensive team, because I think those 14, 15 minutes a night when Ant is off the floor, this team's probably going to be, noticeably uh below average just given the the other players that are that are on the floor that you know really kind of need ant to be empowered kind of like you said by finding them their their rhythm i don't think there's a a path to a ton of rhythm to the offense without ant i would push back on that some uh i was i feel i'm i believe this i okay okay i (laughs) The, the, the offensive numbers for Jade McDaniels last year were remarkably good. I mean, I, I, I was so surprised when I did my uh, Finch interview prep, just thinking about different guys on the team and how they fit in. And this season, Jade McDaniels' contribution has been to boost the offense. It's a really kind of remarkable stat. The sample size, obviously, he's played like 10 games. Sure. Uh, and But – it is kind of a interesting carryover from last year in some respects. Among all 10 rotation players, if you count both uh, Brown Jr. and Shake as, as your 9 10, okay. um, when Jade McDaniels is on the floor, the Wolves have the highest offensive rating among all 10 rotation players. And when Jade McDaniels is on the floor, they have the highest defensive. Uh, in other words, the most porous defense. Um, it's obviously a, a somewhat of a factor that the bench seems to depress scoring in both sides of the ball, so on and so forth. But what I have also noticed is that McDaniels has a feisty pride in getting his own. And if he sees opportunities to get his own, I mean, it was ridiculous the other night. He had eight shots in like 12 minutes, uh, totally rusty. But by the end of the game, I mean, you know, he pumped in a couple of threes to keep the team in the game, you know, in the fourth quarter. I think that the future 
for Jaden McDaniels on offense is going to be coming faster at us than we originally thought. And some of that is because there's a void there. So that's my one argument for that. The other can I, is, right, can I respond to that first sure, before we sure. get into it? Yeah. Um, because for sure, I, I think that is the best answer. I think that's a really good point to bring up there. That is the, a player who's looking for more offensive bandwidth that we believe can do more offensively. I'm thinking about it like more, Technically, and I believe, like picturing where that offense comes from, from mm -hmm. Jaden, it's easier for me to picture with Ant again on the floor, right? In in a more, I think Jaden's best offense comes from cutting, right? And, right. and which look, he and Cat have done that really well. Okay, but uh, so th this is interesting. Like, paint it out for me. Ant's not on the floor. Where does right. Jaden? Where does Jaden get his? cutting buckets from you strong, the strong side baseline cut with cat in the slot okay see i agree with that 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 is what i think the biggest thing that needs to shift with the no ant you're running your offense through cat offense right i don't think the the post-ups that are going to get doubled no. are the answer right and that, and that was the answer they looked for over and, and, and over part of that again. is because cat has a has a tendency i was going to write this today and I it didn't ran out of room or didn't think of it, whatever, some reason. But essentially cat has a has a good kind of vanity, which is that whatever somebody is saying he's doing one thing well and therefore should stop doing the other thing that much, he wants to prove that the other thing he does really well too. So that um Right now, everybody's clamoring for Cat to shoot threes for obvious reasons. The dude is over 40% again, and he's over 50% in the last 10 games or so. He's just been raining buckets. And and yet, you know, he continually drove into, like, the beef of the Pelicans over and over again, probably thinking that if they're going to call fouls on everybody and his brother at one end, he might get a whistle or two at the other end. But at the end of the day, I think that Cat is a very multidimensional player. He just has to have a better sense of when he can hammer somebody on a specific thing. Mm -hmm. He likes to mix it up within the course of a game and whether the defense has adjusted or not, you know? Sure. I mean, if 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 he's Three for four in the first half, that doesn't mean he's going to shoot five more in the second half. <laughs> in fact, it might mean that he doesn't, yeah. mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Right. And so uh, I feel like another wrinkle to this is that Cat, Cat right now, is his assist to turnover ratio is a little bit funky. And it's partly because of where he's playing, you know, and, and partly because of the fact that, I mean, the other night he did like this reach around bounce pass to Jane McDaniels that was geometrically impossible to complete, you know, and, and, and you get stuff like that and then you go, okay, you know, this is Cat, you know, being, trying to be more than he is, but I do think that if people cut baseline and Cat has the ball at the top of the key anywhere on the floor, he will try to find that guy. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worthwhile 
Uh, I, it will be in the scouting report if it keeps up. And um, Jade McDaniels is a good candidate for that. And I would hope that right now Chris Finch is working on cat to McDaniels cuts because I think that is a, a really good non-ant solution. Yeah, but, I, I kind of get why it went the way it did against the Pelicans. Like, I don't really blame Carl for that. I mean, they were – Well, he was what, hot in the first half, but then exactly. they, they, they ganged him. Yeah, well, that that's the, the thing is, like, it works so well in the first half that I think that's why Finch had them keep going back to it in the second half, the post-ups and letting two, Carl – Two points, try one rebound. Yeah, in the second half. Exactly. It, it, so I, it was – you know, it it wasn't. It turned out to not be the the best offensive right. path. But again, kind of our previous point. Right. What was the other offense? What what else right. were you going to do there? It had to right. go through Carl. Now I think maybe with hindsight, Finch would say maybe we could have done that by running a little bit more pick and pop, having him in the delay, play as the trail big, put Rudy in the dunker, whatever. Um, there, there's there's different ways to do that. I I just think it's going to be hard, and this isn't totally. Carl's fault, but with the surrounding personnel, I think this team is going to struggle to be able to beat Carl doubles in the post this season, mm -hmm. particularly mm -hmm. when Ant is is off the floor. You, I think you need both cutters and spacers uh, or movement shooters to be able to, I was rewatching right. it last night, I, I was thinking that you need players that can hunt space, right? right. That That's what you need when your big is being doubled in the post. And, that, and you know who the best on the roster is at doing that? And? Mike, Mike Conley. Oh, Mike Conley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and so, yeah. and, and so um, the other thing that has to happen is that Conley has to be, I mean, it's almost like, you know, you have a certain amount of water in a day, you know, and you don't want a big glass right away necessarily. You know, you want to make sure that the times when you're thirsty, you get to have that water. And I don't want to yo-yo Mike Conley in and out of the lineup, but I would like to see a little bit more surgical rotations. I would not want to see, and you know, the, the 15 minutes at the end of one game about a couple weeks ago, that was an aberration. But what I would like to see are um, a little bit more five and six minute stints, mm -hmm. and 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 maybe one more rotation as a result to get that thirty minutes. Maybe five rotations of five or six minutes, you know, mm -hmm. um, because I think that he really works with any personnel you put out there, uh, with the possible exception of J Mac, you know, which is you know just really. Uh, uh, a, a terrible, uh, very, very small. Kind of irrelevant, yeah. Very, very small. And yeah. so, but I, I think that um, if you put him out there with Cat, uh, for example, that is where you get that, you know, that outlet. I would like to see Rudy and, and Conley have this down with science. Cat has always been a terribly timed screener. If they could figure out how to work that high pick and roll screen where Conley steps back on that three and then do the thing where Cat and Wiggins used to do, where it looked like Conley was stepping back for a three, but meanwhile, Cat slides over also on the arc and gets the pass. Right. Um, 
You know, I mean, I think there are ways. You got a couple of 40% shooters, pretty reliably 40% three-point shooters. Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to have Ann on the court, use them. Right. Well, and, and again, it's this is oversimplification, but it's kind of what you're saying too. Like you just need to invert the offense and rather than having Cat on the block and Rudy in the dunker, Bring them Absolutely. up, run that horns, that V action that they that they run. That seems like the the better thing to go to because it taps more into Towns and Conley's three point shooting rather than just their their passing. Whereas that's more so the case when it is, you know, Carl on the block and and Rudy in, in the opposite side dunker. Yeah, and that that won't happen on Thursday probably. They will bully ball Dallas. Uh, they have lively seven foot one inch rookie, and then I think they they step down to Grant Williams yeah. at six mm -hmm. six. I mean they got Holmes who's six nine, yeah. but um, I, I I expect them tomorrow night to uh, bully ball it more. Mm -hmm. um, and, well, and it's always a balance, right? Yeah, it, it's it's more we're we're talking about the times in which the offense is stalling out and, right. and we're specifically talking about the times when ant can't bail you out. Cause he's not in the game. Right. What right. can we run then? And, right. uh, and that's what I think the Pelicans game was a really good learning lesson to be like, yeah, we do. We do need to add more to our bag there to, to solve that element of the game. Today's show is brought to you by doer jeans, D U E R. And I'm excited to tell you about doer jeans because it's the type of clothing that I wear, professional and polished, but comfortable. I'm excited to wear my Dewar Performance Denim jeans to the next Wolves home game. And I really think you're going to want your own pair of Dewar jeans because I just promise you they become that pair of pants that when you open the drawer, you choose them over and over again because you love the way they feel. Dewar jeans are durable and flexible without sacrificing comfort or style. Plus, they're antibacterial which equals less washing. They have temperature regulating fabrics for all day and all weather comfort. And the all weather performance denim is wind and water repellent while the fireside denim is fleece lined and great for staying warm. Dewar clothes are sustainably crafted to last a long time. So I know they will be a staple in my closet for years to come. Dewar jeans are one of a kind. They'll make a great holiday gift for you and for those on your holiday list. You can check out Dewar's flagship stores in LA or Denver or online at shopdoer.com slash Moore. Right now, my listeners can get 15% off site-wide when you use my special URL, shopdoer.com slash Moore. You will want to take advantage of this because Doer never goes on sale. Don't wait to get 15% off. Go now to shopdoer.com slash Moore. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, all right, Brett, let's uh let's move over to your third factor of you know surviving or sustaining right. this um really difficult stretch in in the schedule. And you you wrote, can the awe-inspiring defense hold up? And uh, I, I want to get to that, but I think this is somewhat related to what we were just talking about before um, and fuses into this here as well. Um, I'm curious your thought on this. The, the three teams that probably exceeded expectations most this, this season or, and are close to yeah, are, are Minnesota, Orlando, uh, Orlando and, and well, and I guess you could say OKC there too, but Houston at least this fits my oh, yeah. narrative. Oh, narrative also, a little bit better. Yeah, huge defensive improvements, all three. Well, they're the top three defenses in ah. in the NBA right now, and they are all below average or average to below like fifteenth or lower right. um, in in offense oh, on, on the season, and and that's uh, like you need that elite defense to be able to be a team that has aspirations of, you know, making a run in, in the playoffs, but you're also a team. You also need a probably above average offense, which none of those three teams have, which raises, you know, red flags to some extent about the sustainability of, I mean, if we're just talking about Houston and Orlando, we would hone in on that. Just kind of looking at the offensive personnel and even asking yourself, how much better can this get? The Wolves are a little bit different because I think we can picture. Oh, this you got Ant Exactly. There's right? like no top way 10. Houston or Orlando can, can match that. Yeah. So it's like, I, I guess the, the main takeaway is for Houston, Orlando, and Minnesota to sustain or get better or improve their odds of becoming mm-hmm. a contender or a playoff team that can make a run is that that offense does need to get better. And conversely, if it doesn't, you're not going anywhere. Like mm-hmm. all, all the Minnesota included, right? I, mm-hmm. I I really, I mean, just I looked it up. I was like, all right, what what teams have been, what have been the best teams that have been below average offenses the the last few years that have made it past the first round? No, just the just the the oh, best the best teams who had below average okay, offenses okay. last yeah. year. It was the Pelicans. Uh-huh. Um, and they were sixth in defense and 18th on, on offense. And they lost in the play play in tournament. Didn't even right. make right. the playoffs the year before that. Um, the best team with a below average offense was the Toronto Raptors. They were 16th on offense, 10th on defense. They lost in the first round. And the year before that, it was the Lakers in 2020, 21. They were 22nd on offense during the regular season and second in defense. And they also lost in, in the first round. It isn't to say that you can't be uh, a below average offensive team and win a playoff series or advance to, you know, the finals, actually the Lakers, the bubble year, the year before that, I would assume I didn't go back that far, but they might be the most recent example of real success in that. But I just think this is, this is something to keep on our mind. It's why we're talking about, right. You know, the ant, the offense with Ant on the floor versus off the floor and and how that is detracting from the overall because they are a top 10 offense when Ant's on the floor. What can you get to, you know, buoy that? So we're, you know, in a month or two from now, we're like, yeah, the Wolves are ninth in offense and second in defense, right? That mm-hmm. should be 
the the goal of of where this team is going. And I do feel more confident in the Wolves being able to do that than Orlando and Houston. You know, respect to them, I need, probably need to watch more of them. But looking at the rosters, and it seems most that the Wolves would be the most likely to be able to do this. So I know this is can the awe inspiring defense sustain segment right. of, of the show, but the awe inspiring defense also needs help from, from the offense as well. Even if it stays really good, the offense needs to get better. Here's an interesting point. And uh, I, this is something I'm going to write about sometime. And um, I, I toyed with it for a while and I'm actually not even sure it still holds, but it was holding uh, when I looked at it a week or so ago, the defense does not help the offense as much as it used to. Mm. Um, points off turnovers, I think they're you know they may be decently high, but they're they're for the steals and blocks and deflections and the, the wolves are not they're not getting to loose balls. They're not boxing out. They're not mm. doing the fundamental hustle things at even a league average. Uh, they are also not contesting shots at a really high rate. What they are doing is stifling people with a fairly conservative, albeit roaming system that doesn't take chances that much, but constantly thwarts good shots. Mm-hmm. Forwarding good shots is wonderful, and it lowers a team's offensive rating. But it also does not turn teams over in a manner that enables you to go on these great runs. Think about even last year, the Wolves would go on these little high-spirited, you know, 12-2 runs based on their defense. Their defense now is suffocating people, but they're not. You know, electrocuting people. Uh, you know, yeah, well, that was around, you know, that was the you know the the Pat Bev Vando team, right? Yeah, that right. was they were second in in turnovers generated. Points off turnovers, right? right. Yep, turnovers generated. Points off turnovers. That was that was a big part of that team's defensive identity. We've been over a million different times. That right. was a much more aggressive defensive scheme, but that scheme inspired more transition offense right. defensively. Obviously, it's not the right. Defensive scheme to be. This, I think, would you this is not a risk-taking defense. Yes, mm-hmm. and it's very obvious if you watch them that it's mm-hmm. not a risk-taking defense. And this the is the best defense. Te- this is this is how they should be playing defense. Absolutely, <laughs> exactly. we're just doing the distinction. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, what I'm saying though is the offense is on its own if you're going to mm-hmm. play defense this way. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're not going to be sprinting out, um, mm-hmm. getting a lot of transition buckets. Um, and, you, you know, uh, you're not going to be uh, – it, it just feels like the whole defense into offense thing mm-hmm. is – is le- it's more like you, you kill the other team's offense, but you don't ignite your own offense mm-hmm. as a result um, as much. Sure. And um, – you know, you're, you're getting rebounds, you're bringing it up there. I think they're like 21st in pace or something. Mm-hmm. You know, that fly-around capability, you could see the fly-around in the structure, a very structured defense where everybody kind of knows their assignment. Uh, there's good switching. They know how to switch better than ever before, I think, to some extent. They have playing zone with a discipline that I think is better than they've ever had before. And their basic package of, you know, go out and retreat 
and and have switch partners and do your thing pursue yeah is done really really well mm-hmm. um but it is not um a a point generator it is a point deflator for the other team my point on the x factor is that and this this actually this this part i give you credit for this cuz you inspired this from our last pod where we were talking about the front line of cat Nas and Slomo. Yeah. And you said they have gone downhill on defense. They started really well, but they are not doing as well. And I argued against it because my eye test, a little bit influenced by memory, didn't quite agree with your harsh assessment of it. Well, the numbers are worse. The numbers are, I just took two 11 game segments because they played 22. Okay. Sure. The front court of Cat, Nas, and Slomo in the first 11 games, when they were on the court, gave up 92 points per 100 possessions. <laughs> the second 11 games, they gave up 111. Yeah. That is a 19-point swing. Mm-hmm. 19 points worse in the second half of the season to date mm-hmm. doing that. And some of that is... Teams have started to figure them out a little bit more. Some of that is they are slow. And some of that is, I think, Jaden's hurt, Ant's hurt, and you're it's the second unit. So you got Naw not in the second unit now. Naw's with the first unit. Jaden is not on the court. So you're losing some really cool perimeter defenders or wing defenders that would help you out a lot more. So there is a factor there. But the bottom line is, um, if that happens, that is, it's hard to have an elite defense if your second unit is porous. Yeah, this is maybe arguing against my own point, but at the same time, if you would have told me before the season started that the Wolves would have a 111 defensive rating when Kat and Nas and Kyle are on the floor, I'd be like, sign me up for that. You yeah. know, I don't think. I don't think we're saying this to assess that three-man defensive pairing, an important three-man defensive pairing for this team as a failure at all this year. I mean, they B-plus or whatever, right, A-minus right. maybe. But it is not the weapon in which it was turning out to be in the, the first 11 games of the well, season. Well, and the and offense is also flipped. I mean, yeah. they were a lot better on offense. They were like, I think their net rating was plus 17.5 in the first 11 games, mm-hmm. and it's minus seven or something. Well, and and a player who plays next to those three players a ton is Shake Milton. Right, right. And teams are not guarding Shake Milton on the perimeter, right. and they're now not guarding Kyle Anderson as well. So it makes sense that that team has gotten – that group and I and Nas is Nas is occasionally you know it's kind of like air in the gas line you know every yeah. now and then uh, you know Nas is is yeah. puts down the throttle and doesn't go anywhere you know so uh, can, can I ask you there's a little tangent off of this I know we're talking about defense sure. but like I, I keep whenever I get in the stretches of game of a game or a handful of games I'm like man they need need more offensive juice what I go to in my head all the time is Nas right. And particularly mm-hmm. off, off of those second units. Right. What I haven't figured out 
I'm just I'm curious of your perspective is how if that was if you're Finch and you're like, all right, I know we want to get more offense out of Nas because we need that in our second unit. How would you go about trying to to generate that? That's one of my biggest arguments for J-Mac. Yeah. Because those guys are liquid. I mean, they don't, they are not static. Mm -hmm. And and both of them, they're the two quickest decision makers on the entire team. Sure. And so they're thinking very quickly in sync. I mean, their pick and roll explodes. Uh, and if you have that as a weapon at the same time, you have a deliberator like slow-mo on the floor and you have a guy like cat who can be, you know, a flare. Um, you can do some actions there. And, and, you know, first of all, Nas and J Mac can get up the court and test transition. Both of them have enough sense if it's not absolutely there to pull back but also immediately get into a good delayed half-court action. Um, I think Cat would love to play more with J-Mac, uh, simply because he delivers the ball in a way that speeds you up in a positive way, and Cat occasionally waits too long to see if the double's coming, waits too long and all of a sudden, the three is not as open as it was before. Um, I think Cat could could benefit from an accelerator uh, on his on his own checklist, and I think that J Mac naturally provides that. So I'd be curious to see it anyway, just to see yeah. what happens. But maybe we need to put a line through that because that just might not happen. It doesn't seem like when Ant is back that Jordan McLaughlin is going to play. He played in the last game. He checked in with like five minutes left in the third quarter. That is a player who is, even when you were missing one of your top guys on Ant, you had ruled out of your rotation for, for that game. Pretty See, I'm not convinced. I'm not yeah. convinced uh, because I do think. But I'm not talking about you, man. I'm talking about Finch. I'm trying to think about it through, through that lens. Are, are I, you convinced I, I, that? Uh, yeah. Yes, I, I, I'm not convinced, but I, I'm a lot more leaning in the direction that Finch understands that J-Mac needs to play. What were the first words out of his mouth in the press conference after New Orleans? J-Mac oh, has a good game. <laughs> J-Mac a good game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I did see that. Um, and so... So maybe okay. So 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 maybe okay. We we, we talked about that. I, that is that is a potential answer to it. But again, otherwise, what, what, what is it? What is, who's the point guard? Nikhil and Nas. I think it's the same <laughs> idea, but it's Nikhil and Nas. I'm serious. I I, I know. I, I, don't I know. hate that. And I, 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 hate I will that. tell you right now, if if Nikhil Alexander Walker and Nas are on the court as a two player tandem, nobody in their right mind thinks you're going to get more offense out of that than you are the J Mac Nas tandem. No. I mean, it's ridiculous. On defense, yeah, you give up some. And it's going to hurt because of what we just got through saying about the porous front court. But I think if you're looking to goose the offense and you don't want to play a tremendous amount of minutes or Conley a tremendous amount of minutes, you have to start using J-Mac. I, and I'm agreeing with you. I would I would do that. I know. Well. You're, you're, I'm, you're, I'm you're, you have no faith you... in Finch making the right decision. 
Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's he would if he <laughs> finds a different right decision. I'm guessing. Right. And if he does, hats off. You know. Yeah. I, but I, I think if it's Shake Milton, I mean, you know, they put ten million dollars down on Shake Milton for two years. Five. Five. Well, then next year's non guaranteed. I mean, okay. I, I don't right. think he. I don't know. I mean, things would need to change for him to be on the team here. He is being paid more now than Troy Brown and Naw combined, or about no. the same amount. Very no. close. Shake five, Nikhil four and a half, Troy four. Okay. Well, they're all they're, there's no pecking order difference in that. I, I, and I was not suggesting that that <laughs> Shake is the the answer there too. I, I think again, if it's Dane and Britt, we're we're doing things. We're like, yeah, play J Mac, run p- spread pick and roll with Nas. I'm going if if someone tells me then I can't have that, then what are my other alternatives here to juice the offense or goose the offense? As right, you said. right, right. And now I'm moving down into the next question is Nikhil or Shake there. And and I would prefer to play Nikhil than Shake at this time. And the way in which I would prefer to do that is to run more pick and roll with Nas in more of a spread concept because I just think that group doesn't have enough offensive juice to just play within the flow, which often leads to an isolation type situation that that group just doesn't have a lot of isolation personnel out of it or puts Nas in harder isolation situations. I just... I think spreading the floor with that second group, playing more decisively, playing in more high quad pick and roll, maybe gets you more of that offensive juice, which again, yes, J-Mac, I think would do that as well. But uh, can Nikhil do that? Because he's going to give you better defense and he's probably going to give you better shooting. What about going small with Nas at the five, slow-mo at the four, Nikhil at the three or Troy Brown Jr. at the three, your choice, the other one at the two. Mm-hmm. And then um Are you gonna say J Mac again? <laughs> well I could say J Mac or I could say, you know, I mean Shake. it it could be Shake. But I think what I'm saying is is you have uh a lot of switchable wings. That's why I hesitate on J Mac. He's less switchable. Mm-hmm. Um although he is surprisingly feisty when he's guarding post ups. I've always admired him mm-hmm. uh for that. And and for all I know, is as good as you know. Uh, he gets into people. that little like, fire hydrant mode, right? Where you like it's hard to move it. And he, he loves he loves to leap forward, and you know, like the, mm-hmm. the defender on you know in a defensive back, you know, on a pass. Yeah, you know, he's he's great at the leaping deflection. Uh, so anyway, I guess we're just reading the tea leaves differently about Jordan McLaughlin's. Yeah. We are, I mean, you know, we'll see who's right. I, I, I think that, um, put it this way if one way doesn't work, the other way will be tried, <laughs> you know, because they do need to do something. Yeah. And so, uh, and also, again, we get back to I think it's less of an issue right away because Dallas has, even though Dallas, I looked this up, had the 12th best defense over the last uh, seven games. They are 23rd overall. Mm-hmm. And so they're not a good defensive team. And Luca, you know, it's still the Luca show. And even more so if Kyrie's heel is still bothering him. And you've, you know, you gotta contend with Dante Exum, who had a fabulous game the other night. Uh and they've been playing away. well. I I watched another one of their games before. Too. Oh, they're, 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 Luca is um yeah. I mean, he's still a flaming jerk with the refs. But the guy really does know how to pick apart 
Mm-hmm. You know, you could read his mind along with him and still not stop it. You know, right. Let's actually talk about Dallas and Indiana. Those are the All next right. two games yeah, here. Two, two tremendous offensive teams. Exactly. And I think, again, maybe this fuses well into our can the defense, the awe-inspiring right. defense uh, hold up here. And um, they're, they're different, right? Dallas and Indiana are different in how they're high-level offenses. They both play that. Helios but they are both pick and roll. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, I, I think the distinction is – the pace in which Indiana plays with with versus Dallas. I was just listening to the broad, the, the Dallas broadcast, which is actually great, by the way. I, I, I agree. Like I agree. They are good league the, pass crew. Yes. Um, Dallas is playing a little bit faster and, and I'm curious if that is going to be a tactic against this Wolves um, defense in, in general, obviously mm-hmm. you're, you're, you know, it makes sense to try to get, the Wolves defense out of the half court right. um, as much as possible, but almost like the Pelicans game felt like the Pels were almost daring the Wolves to play at a faster pace with them, which subtracts a little bit from the defense. Obviously Rudy is in foul trouble. It's just a weird right. defensive a weird game. game. Right. I, I don't know. It, it, it would be awesome if the Wolves can play with a little bit more pace while sustaining the half court defense. The question right. is like, is that even a realistic can is that even something that can happen you know and i think dallas and indiana will both you know try and push the wolves or test that out of the the wolves yeah. and try and play them faster i think that is another area where jaden overnaw i think jaden can play in transition uh both ways defending in transition and running in transition mm-hmm. i just think he you know he's taller for one thing which gives him there's a difference between six nine and six five, and and what you can do in transition as a result. Yeah. Uh, and I think that you know it remains to see how rusty he is. He looked a lot better in the second half than he did in the first, and maybe that's all it takes. Mm-hmm. But I think there's that. Um, I also think that Halliburton and Doncic are both really great playmakers but are so different you know totally. uh, I mean uh, Luca wants to get to the line he doesn't care about turnovers that much uh, he's a bull in a china shop a lot and Halliburton is more like a uh, like a avant-garde painter or something he's you know he's just going down the court and you know next he's doing this and doing that and it's it's it feels spontaneous even when it isn't because he plays with flair and um that's infectious uh, you know that team obviously loves playing with him right now and he's in a zone i mean he's in this is you this will not continue you do not have multiple double digit assist games with no turnovers on a regular basis uh <laughs> you know while you're getting 25 to 30 points a night you know, I mean, I, I think that he will be an all-star caliber player, but I also think that when they chart the sine wave of his season, he's he's at a peak right now. And if he hits it uh, for the rest of the season, it won't be as frequently as he is now. Um, but anyway, my point about the defense was Rudy Gobert is a perfectionist. 
And he has been reveling in this first six weeks or the six-week stretch that the Wolves got through because the defense was pretty perfect. And a lot of it was because he was making the right decisions. Everybody was in sync around him. But as the standard or the bar, whatever you want to call it, has risen, I think his willingness to accept less than that is going to be tighter. And I don't think it's a good thing. Uh, I think that Rudy's competitiveness on defense, he's back. He knows he's back. He knows he's shut everybody up who ripped them last year, and he doesn't want that to stop. And if his teammates or some of the people that are making it stop, I think he's going to let them know about it. And I, I worry about his patience because, you know, it's the way we started this conversation. We are spoiled by the caliber of play the Wolves have demonstrated in these first 22 games, first 21 games. Mm -hmm. I think Rudy Gobert is spoiled by what he has gotten from his teammates and what he has been able to deliver. And I think that, I mean, in that New Orleans game, and you know, granted, a lot of it was that he knows how important he is, and he was shelved with foul trouble both halves. But he was, I mean, Gobert's testimonials to the ref are in their own way as ineffective as Cats, back in Cats prime for that kind of stuff. And, and, it just, it doesn't help. And and when Gobert wants a replay, 90% of the time he has committed the foul. And he just needs to understand that. And it just, I don't, you know, I was negative on Gobert a lot of last season and certainly in the beginning of this season. And he shut me up, and he was right. I was wrong. And I don't want this to be kind of like a resurrection of sour grapes. I'm just pointing out that oh. I believe his – what makes him great also could make him a little bit corrosive. Yeah, no, I, I, think you, I think you articulated the take well. You know, and and like you said, the the thing that strikes home is that we've all been spoiled by how well this has worked, and how and where do you react to that when things are no long when you're no longer like basking in the spoils, right? That's the, and that's why, and we've been saying this for weeks. I've loved Finch's, and just from talking to the players too, like Finch when they watch film they'll win a game by 25 points and it's 20 clips of like, Hey, what do we not do here? This, there has been that mentality um, the whole time. I think I'm not as far on that concern spectrum as, mm -hmm. as you are. And I think a lot of it has to do with Jaden coming back mm -hmm. um, because this team has been the number one defense through 22 games and Jaden's missed half of those games and right. he's the second best defensive player on the team. I mean, pretty simplistic math, but I think we can, figure that out too, because, you know, we're talking about some of the, we talked in this episode about the no ant minutes, what that does for the offense. We've talked in previous episodes about what no Rudy does for, for the defense. Like Jaden's going to help all that 
both sides, both of those equations, as you articulated before, All I right. think he'll, he'll help this and it'll help sustain the defense some too. But I know. think he's going to be a more positive impact on offense than he is on defense. And a lot of that, I think, is a tribute to Nah. I think Nah has played really, really well as a wing stopper. And, and so we have not missed Jaden McDaniel's defense. I mean, they've retained the number one defense in the yeah. NBA with McDaniel's out. I don't know how much better it can get, whereas I know how much better the offense can get with Jaden on the court. Um, but but he's better at defense than he is at offense. So there's like uh, a veracity. Yes, I think that I, I want to see. But think about, evident- about Jaden as like the Hooper. Like, I yeah. know we know all those numbers of right. last year, right? Like, and I know we like to think that Jaden has this deeper bag that we haven't seen in all that much. And I believe that. I, I really do. But, like, I, I've i always questioned if he's a 40% three-point shooter. And I wonder if right. the elite numbers at the basket are because of the, you know, the, the focus that Rudy mm-hmm. and Ant and Kat are all, are all generating. I think we're, like, skipping the eye test to suggest that Jaden's offensive impact right now can be even close to his, his defensive impact. Like, okay. And, and where I'm coming on this, I think I am still worried about his temper. I am still worried about his attitude. I think that there was a point in time where his feistiness was in a place that made him a much better defender. I think as the league has figured out the unique way he guards people and the fact that he guards some of the cleverest scorers in the NBA, I think that he is provoked more than ever before. And I don't think he has solved that for himself. And as a result, I think that he gets in foul trouble, but he also, you see, I mean, I saw it against the Wolves a couple of times where Jaden is just like, Mixing it up with somebody on the side, off the play, it wasn't Clay Thompson's situation, but it's like, hey, you know, don't fuck with me kind of thing that um, is it good to have that? Yeah, to some extent. But at what point does it become not good? Um, but I think the question is, what should we presume? Should we presume that is a good thing or should we presume it is a bad thing? It's easy to go off of punching the wall and that being a thing or the time. Yeah, I'm not talking about that. I am talking about the idea that um, if Jaden gets a couple of ticky-tack fouls, he doesn't go and complain to the refs and and make a spectacle of himself the way uh, Cat does or Gobert recently has has done. Presses those emotions, yeah. What he does is uh, he gives somebody a good shove when he thinks that the ref mm-hmm. isn't watching. And sometimes the ref is watching. Yeah. And even if the ref isn't watching, that brings out the the beast in the guy he's guarding. And maybe a good way, maybe it isn't. Um, but yeah, it's I kind of love it. It's I still kind of love it. I, 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 I recognize it. the risk, but I kind of love it. Well, and so far, I mean, I've talked about Aunt Rudy and Jaden in non-basketball ways, in attitudinal ways. And you thought all three of those are, I, I would imagine, too psychoanalytic. And I, I, I would cop to that. I, I would cop to the idea that um, I, I'm that not disagreeing. Be... I'm, I'm no, 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 I, no, I don't no, disagree. No. I, I, I just think that there, there is a, a way to look at the game 
Sometimes I look at it in a way that uh, goes overboard, and this may be the case, but there is something about the the this team had an attitude in equilibrium when they were rolling. And just as it's a make or miss league, it's a in sync, not sync. There is a, that attitudinal equilibrium is hard to sustain. I think Finch is excellent at it. One of the reasons I like Finch as a coach so much is because I think he pays attention to this stuff and I think he does a good job with it. But I also think that, uh, there's a fragility to that. I, yeah, I'm, I'm with that. I, I I hear that. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking that away. And no, like, I'll list off, you know, Rudy's demeanor vacillating over the course of last season. Right. Jaden, obviously, we could point to a, a handful of different things too. Um, I don't know. I think the hope is that with another year and with a year of just growth and maturity, right? Um, that those things. It's not like that they will never be problems, right? but maybe less frequently um, can be. So I, I guess where I'm just at is I'm not presuming those things becoming issues. I'm acknowledging that they could. Right. And I am thinking that having a career high foul rate in your fourth year when you are notoriously foul prone is a red flag. And I, I think that um, he's got to find a way to mm-hmm. cut it out and yeah. still be effective. No, it's, I, I said this earlier when we were talking about the Pelicans game specifically, and it's like Rudy and Nikhil got in foul trouble and I'm just willing to give those two more grace in right. that game exactly. because I haven't seen it be a chronic problem. Right. But we, you know, people often think this is just like piling on Carl, but obviously that has been a chronic problem throughout his career that, well, that he has had. Cat, cat, oh. com- Cat has committed 17 fouls in the three New Orleans games. Yeah, that's crazy. Six twice, five once. Wow. And and like Jaden, I know the, the 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 cat part of that one is just like so overloaded and toxic, and it feels like I don't know, like piling on or something. I just like with the cat part, I'm like, yes, fouling is an issue. It's been an issue for for nine years. Um, I don't know how I would go about trying to make that change. I'm just kind of like, right. it is what it is. The Jaden one is more interesting to me in that the track record is shorter, right? Um, I think he has a different personality than Carl or mentality to this. And um, I'm curious if it could change because of that. But at the same time, I put him in the chronic Fowler category with Carl and not the one that Nikhil and right. Rudy Rudy are in. Right. There. So and I think Jayden, I'm acknowledging it too. Jaden is in the trenches. He likes the trenches. And um, the difference between Jaden and Gobert is that people come to Gobert. Jaden most of the time has to come to the guy he is guarding because he's a wing stopper. And most of the time that guy is going to be working screens. He's going to be working uh, actions where he's going to be, you're going to have to dodge bodies. And sometimes he's going to try to bull you. And if he gets ahead of steam up, he will be able to bull you. So there's all kinds of reasons why Jaden has to collapse distance at the same time. He is not a smothering defensive player that way. He's an appendage guy. I've said this a lot, but 
At the end of the day, it's a unique way of playing that the, the book is out on Jaden. He's, he's got a hot temper and he is really, really effective if you let him tag along with you. Uh, you've got to get into him and you've got to throw him off his game uh, psychologically, if you can, by drawing ticky-tack fouls and by, you know, running him into enough screens and just doing your thing where, you know. And, oh, which, and, which Luca, I mean, again, the Thursday Luca match, oh, like that's know, just how Luca plays uh, against Emma. It'll be a good test. Yeah. And, and I hope Nog gets a lot of those minutes. I think it should be a tag team. And for that matter, you know, I mean, slow-mo, slow-mo has turned out to be, I mean, for all the times I've ripped him for his shooting this year and his yeah. playmaking is down. The dude is guarding wings. Well, really, really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, guys, you didn't, you would not think he can stay with. Um, he's so long and mm-hmm. he sidles in a way that is incredibly economic movement, you know, oh, where it has it to be given the foot speed, right? Like if it's <laughs> working, it has to be. <laughs> yeah. He's still yeah. covering ground. Yeah. No, it's uh, it, it will be. It will be an interesting test for this for this defense here. Uh, for the Dallas and Indiana, the next two games. I think then it's Miami and then it's Philadelphia, who's number three uh, in offense. I think da- or Dallas, Indiana, and Philadelphia are the top three offenses right now. So yeah, uh, a great yeah. test for technical defense for attitudinal defense. Uh, like we're, we'll see, and like, for offense to keep yeah. pace. Yeah, no, I, I think this was. Uh, I'm glad to have had the New Orleans game personally to kind of like recalibrate my thinking of to like not only thinking now here comes the hard part, but what is the hard part uh, going to require uh, out of this team? And and they're probably going to check some boxes and not check some boxes. And we're going to we're going to track that. Do you want to I I would not be um, disenchanted with an eight and eight stretch right now they're zero and one so in eight and seven from here on out uh uh that would give them a record of 25 and 12 that's a 55 win pace with the biggest part of their schedule the hardest part of their schedule behind them i i I just think 16 is too big to think about like i'm thinking about it in five (laughs) i know i know it is it's enormous i mean it's a month it is a month of nothing but really good teams it's and it's too big and some of the the quality of those teams can change and evolve just given time or their own injuries or something can happen to the wolves yeah no Kyrie tomorrow night exactly yeah so i don't know i i kind of decided actually to be honest with you i'm not sure is worse Uh, you know because dallas has been playing really well without him yeah, no, Exum. Uh, that was, uh, you know, he's he's kind of stepped in there. Tim Hardaway, I watched that Lakers Mavs game uh, last night too, and man, watching Luca just having fun down Torian Prince fun. too. How angry did Torian Prince just look at the end of the game of just like frustration of this yeah. dude just just scoring on me over and over again, and I'm trying as you know I'm trying as right. as hard as I can. Um, do you want to? I mean, anything with the column. You want to plug what this and one element oh, oh, of well, it is? Yeah, if people are interested. Um, it, this is two things. MinPost is trying to figure out um, a way to uh, – now the wolves are hot, I think. They, they want to uh, basically use that allure. You know, in fact, I write about them. Um, 
So there's that aspect of it. There's also the aspect that, um, you know, we've gone back and forth on length. Uh, some they have this idea that they want to keep my columns to a certain length as uh, not just mine, but everybody's. And, um, you know, there have been disagreements about that, but there's not much I'm going to do about it, except that this is a way they wanted to have a newsletter. And they said, you know, we can get your column out a little earlier to other people, but they can also get it right in their mailbox, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, and they said, what do you want to call it? And I said, I want to call it M1, and I want to offer some exclusive content, which just basically gives me a chance to write about stuff that I want to write about anyway, um, that I don't have the, the quote unquote room for. Um, so this first one I did, I think there's like 600 words, a copy that won't be in MinPost. But if you do the and one newsletter, you'll get a little bit of my thoughts on mm-hmm. on Dallas and on uh, the end of the rotation and okay. my, my argument to some extent for J Mac over something like Shake Milton. And and that is you. I think you tweeted out that link, right? Like if it's just yeah, I think it's out there. And and if you go to Min Post, or I bet you, you know, if you go to the column, which will be out tomorrow, uh, there'll be a link for it. Cool. Well, we'll we'll keep uh, we'll keep track, and that's always good to get more Britt Robson writing. I thought, I thought you did, uh, I, even just the column itself felt like two separate sort of meaty, good things in the X factor parts we went through, but Britt detailed a lot of stuff that I thought was interesting, uh, with that Pelicans matchup as well. We're recording this, uh, probably going to come out late afternoon, early evening, uh, on Thursday, that column, or uh, sorry, on Wednesday. And that column will be up on on thursday morning over at min post so um yeah i know all you listen to this podcast but don't give up on writing either i've given up on writing but (laughs) i still read i still i still do read and uh, well i mean for writing for me is uh talking off the top of my head you know if i'm writing something it's something that i've thought a lot more about it doesn't necessarily mean it's better or worse my vocabulary is different I love words. In this particular column, I don't think there's, for the people who don't like the big words, there's not as many big words this time. But uh, but in general, I think that uh, it it's two different aspects of the oh, way you, I you like You did the, say attitudinal and sidle and a couple <laughs> other. You saved your big words. Oh, I know what those mean, now. I think. Attitudinal. Give me a break. If attitudinal is a big word, we're all in trouble. I, I know what sidling means. <laughs> I'm not sure everyone knows what sidling means. Yeah, well, you just watch slow-mo and you can see him sidling. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, yes, I'm sorry, I cut off your. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's right. I, no, I was fine. I, I'm, I'm, people know by now. I mean, you know, I've been writing a long time. The podcast has been a wonderful extension yep. of the way I express myself about basketball. I love the fact that people enjoy it and the, that you have the forum for it. Uh, but, you know, writing will always be my first love because that's the way I identify myself. Yeah, no, and it, it, it does bring a different i mean i that's why i really like doing these episodes when they happen to be like the day after or day of that you've uh that you've written something because you do really distill down your thoughts um in not just you but everyone i think when we write and and it makes for for a better conversation and i just think it's uh it's a worthwhile exercise for 
if you're listening to this podcast at the hour and 24 minute mark of <laughs> of a random Wednesday afternoon, you probably uh, love hoops, love the wolves, and love this type of conversation. And and Britt writes this type of conversation. So do check that out over at Min Post. Sign up uh, for the newsletter. Obviously, you probably already follow Britt on Twitter uh, at Britt Robson. Uh, next up for us with the pod, uh, Kyle and I will go on Friday morning um after the wolves play on on thursday night so kyle and i will probably talk about that uh that mavericks game and whatever does or doesn't happen in page two of uh the hard part of the season so brit uh appreciate you doing it uh, until yeah until friday with kyle he's brit i'm dane peace out how i'm feeling man i hope it never stop yeah green it hard so you can find me in the crowd yeah yeah don't let standards ever ever bring you down yeah I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.